When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, and uh, Nicole Bahari, I, I, I was like, I just need more N- Nicole Bahari in my life after I saw this movie. <laughs> well, just you, need you, more. You watched the film three times, so. You... <laughs> yeah. I, I... Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Barrett Scher from CinemaSins. Hello. And Aaron Dicer from CinemaSins. Oh, hello. And today we have a very special guest, director of Miss Juneteenth, Channing Godfrey Peoples is here. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk with us. Um, we have all watched this movie and we all love it. So and good. uh yeah it is uh it's uh it's it's, it's a, i mean it's just really really good and obviously uh juneteenth is in has been in the news a lot lately um and uh as of this recording it's going to happen tomorrow uh and the movie comes out tomorrow i'm 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 trying to sort of get a history lesson on juneteenth what does juneteenth mean to mean to people So Juneteenth um, commemorates the fact that the slaves in Texas did not find out they were free until two and a half long years after everyone else. So the Emancipation Proclamation happened in 1863. The slaves in Texas didn't find out they were free until June 19th in 1865. And the fact that they were free was intentionally kept hidden from them. And as a matter of fact, slaves were brought from other um, states to Texas so that their freedom could kept could be kept hidden from them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a statistic that's uh, that's mentioned in here where 30 percent of the population of Texas were slaves. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, statistic. Yeah, that that was the thing. I, I I think a lot of us sort of assume that the Emancipation Proclamation uh, just meant okay, slaves are free, everybody everybody's free to go. But that's not what happened. I mean, it had it required uh, the Union armies to come in and to uh, to take over states again um, to actually make slaves free. Um, there were actually union states who still were able to own slaves during emancipation proclamation. That was sort of a political, uh, finagling in, in that and everything. But, uh, I was surprised to find out that, that this was just kept hidden from 
Texans for so long. Yeah, absolutely. It was insidious. And, you know, it's just something that I have known, you know, about for much of my life. I think as a kid, you know, Juneteenth was more about the excitement of attending Juneteenth every year. You know, there's always these um, these grand parades and, you know, there's blues music and dance and, you know, the food is amazing. There's barbecue and um there's been I've heard of sweet potato pie cooking contests. I've attended those. Cane <laughs> 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 yeah, fishing pole contests, you name it. You know, people find all sorts of ways to celebrate um Juneteenth. And but but as an adult, you know, I realized that we were actually commemorating our ancestors who had had their freedom kept from them. I th- I think there's uh one of the things I loved about watching this movie was just the awareness of Juneteenth and just kind of figuring out more about it. And what I like about celebrating Juneteenth is it celebrates not only the Emancipation Proclamation, which had already happened, but it celebrates the fact that the job continues on, right? Like this idea that it's not done because somebody signed a paper somewhere, but that the process of continuing to understand what this means in our culture and our country continues up to present day. And so I, that was one of the things I, I really liked about kind of researching that whole celebration and what goes on with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important and we're seeing this, you know, in more conversations happening around Juneteenth, but I think it's absolutely important that Juneteenth it's been celebrated in my community, my entire life. You know, I've known about Juneteenth, but I think it's important that more, um, Americans embrace Juneteenth and especially at a time like this, like we use Juneteenth, you know, not only as, you know, a time for the pomp and circumstance, which we really can't embrace this year anyway. So this is a time I think for reflection for those slaves in this country whose freedom was kept away from them. Yeah. In this movie, uh, uh, one particular part of the celebration is a beauty pageant. That's what sort of uh, uh, this movie is the uh, thing that uh, everybody sort of seems to care about or is trying to care or like the main character is, is, is caring about so much. Um, are there beauty pageants? Are there real beauty pageants or is this something that uh, you've created for the movie? No, I mean, Miss Juneteenth is um, something that I would, that I cherish going to annually. Um, and it's an actual pageant. And what's different about it is it's, a scholastic beauty pageant. There's an emphasis on scholarship for young African-American women who were the ancestors of these slaves that we were talking about um, to gain college scholarship and create um, better futures for themselves. And so there's this holistic emphasis on preparing these young women for the world. You know, many say, um, you know, even in this old fashioned sort of way, but I really feel like um, the committees that would put Juneteenth on and the there were these well-meaning women that would come together were trying to equip these young African-American women in a way in which they were integrating into a society that necessarily didn't always support them. Yeah, it's it's interesting in the way that you can see Turquoise's character, the main character, uh, trying to embolden her daughter through academics, right? Like every time that she's preparing her, she's saying, you need to get your grades up. You need to really be studying, even though there's so many different facets to this from etiquette to fashion, to all that stuff, to, to, to talents and stuff like that. But it, it it's like every time that she's giving her 
a pep talk, Turquoise is, is saying, you got to focus on those academics, reminding her that this is an academic scholarship and that it's not just a typical beauty pageant. And I think that comes off beautifully in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I really love that you've picked up on that because, you know, it's such a, this story is so much a part of my life. Like, I feel like I've built so much of my life experiences or, or folded so many of my life experiences into the movie. Hmm. Um, education was absolutely an emphasis in my family. You know, um, my grandmother was an educator herself and educated all of her children. Um, she had six children and, um, made sure to instill in us that no matter what, you know, we get our education because no one could take that away from us. So, you know, now I look back on the movie and I see where a lot of these things come from. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, I mean, the, the relationship all throughout this movie, all the relationships intertwining with each other are fantastic, but the relationship between Kai and Turquoise in particular is really the center point of the movie. Uh, And it's, and it's incredibly authentic. Uh, the performance from uh, our our main character Nicole Bahari is. It, I was telling Chris uh, yesterday with with no artifice at all that it, it's literally Oscar worthy. Uh, the the emotions and the way that she plays this character uh, are are absolutely incredible. I don't disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I don't disagree. I'll take it. You know, I mean, one of the things um, in working on this character that was interesting was I wrote Miss Juneteenth. Um, I I recently became a mother, you know, and I say recently, but it just feels like time has flown by. She's almost two. Um, Oh, okay. And I wrote Miss Juneteenth before I became a mom. You know, I was literally working on the script all the all the way up to the time that my daughter was born. And um, I really wrote it from the perspective of, you know, having been a daughter in a way and um, the perspective of having watched my mom in her life. And, um, you know, not all of it is autobiographical. She'll kill me if I don't make that clear. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I wrote it from that perspective. But then after having my daughter, one of the things that I experienced was I'd had this tough love version of Turquoise on paper. And um, I realized that I had felt this joy after my daughter was born, you know, and, and love for another human being. And it was important for me as a director to be able to, you know, bring that into the space, you know? So I was constantly in talks with Nicole about, you know, and, and as an actor, like she just does so much, even with the look and, you know, Mm. she was cast because we needed that, that nuance that we knew that she could bring to the role, you know, just navigating Turquoise's disappointments and, you know, her, the, her lost dream and really her hope for the future and her hope and love for her daughter, you know, um, Mm to have a better life. And um, I really kept going back and saying, no matter what we do, we've got to find the joy. And she nailed it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Nicole Bahari, I I was like, I just need more Nicole Bahari in my life after I saw this movie. (laughs) I just need more. Watched the film three times. So (laughs) yeah, I I, I, I can't lie. I, I, uh, I I watched. uh, Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I really, you know, part of me, like even taking this journey into becoming a filmmaker was I, I had all these stories in my head and really they were, 
stories that I wanted to see. You know, I wanted to see women on screen who looked like me. And so part of my mission as an artist is to bring more African-American women leads in front of the camera. And um, I'm just um, happy that this film is, is actually been made. And, you know, I have something actually that my daughter will be able to look to when she gets a certain age and see more women that look like her. She, um, she, yeah. So she plays, uh, the main characters who won this pageant. Mm -hmm. And I, if I am, if I heard this correctly, she's miss Juneteenth, 2004 is what she says. Mm -hmm. And either just before she won it or just after she won it, she was already pregnant with Kai. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like, she's the sort of the, um, uh, the if you it, she she won it but she wasn't able to make the most out of winning it and now she's putting all of her energies into getting Kai to win it um and uh she's uh, she's just constantly working at the bar and trying to make money but nobody is nobody's really helping her out at all um but you seem to put a lot of these, I mean, she's just struggling throughout this whole thing, but she's so strong all the way through it. And I just love that part of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I really, um, and you, you're spot on in the assessment, you know, Turquoise wins the scholarship and then she goes off to school and, you know, it becomes in somewhere in that space, it gets pregnant, you know, and comes back home and lands back home and she ends up working in this bar you know, and um, I'm being a little vague just so that I don't give away everything. Right. Sure. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, she really is like this resilient character that's determined. And no matter what happens to her, we see her carry herself with this sense of grace. And um, I thought that that was really important for the story because that was the example that I had gotten from the women in my life, just like. Um, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, women in the community who lifted me up and supported me when I said I wanted to be an artist, they said, you can do it. You know, there was always this um, determined streak that said, you can, you need to go after your dream no matter what, even if it gets rerouted. So this story literally really is about this, um, this Black woman who has this dream deferred, you know, that knows in her heart that she wants something for herself, even if she can't articulate it in the moment exactly what it is, you know, she goes on this path to discovery just in having these hopes and dreams for her child to have a better life. Yeah, that's the uh, the theme that I kept seeing throughout the whole movie. Um, there's a moment where the bar owner, Wayman, um talks about how it's uh how incredible it is to have the papers that he has that says he owns this bar and they can't take it away from him and it seems like to be one of the biggest themes of the movie for me is that everybody in this is looking for their own thing uh they're looking for their own way of life is that is that sort of what you were going for there yeah, absolutely. Like I was honestly always asking the question um, thematically for each of the characters, like what does freedom mean to each of the characters? And for many of you know the characters and for many of us in the Black community, it's having something that you could hold on to. And it's this idea of like, what is the American dream? 
Um, so, you know, I was constantly navigating that um, thematically. You know, we talked about Juneteenth earlier, and it really is about us um, commemorating our ancestors who got their freedom late in Texas. And I really wanted to portray that thematically in Turquoise's journey in particular and finding her own sense of freedom by coming to terms with the past, even though she finds it later in life. What I love about this the portrayal is that in... <laughs> Even with all this struggling and the the steely resolve that she has, nobody's perfect in this movie. Nobody's flawless in this movie. Um, there's there's I, mean, I certainly won't give this away, but there's one moment where I literally just went wow when uh, Turquoise encounters somebody, a character in the bar, unexpectedly, and uh, really comes out of nowhere in a sense in in the the, the movie, but it really provides a lot of rich detail about these characters that, you know, you, you, you see the funeral director as being, you know, the, the, the way out, but he's not perfect. You see uh, the passion that Turquoise has uh, for her child's father, who I guess is still her husband. Um, and, you know, that's, that's an option, you know, but, but nobody, nobody's absolutely perfect all the way through. And that's it, a wonderful universe to set up in this movie to introduce those themes that you were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because as I think as a human being and as an artist, I really don't see things in black and white. Like I want to be able to show the shades of gray and I really want to be able to approach storytelling with um, as humanly as possible. And I really want to tell these um stories about the humanity of black folks and, you know, where people, where you hear people actually having, you know, real conversations. And so that's a big part of, you know, what you see in Miss Juneteenth, you know, just showing people in the shades of gray, you know, I think even in particular with Ronnie um, who plays the love interest and turquoise, you know, one of the things we see that they have in common is um, no matter what, you know, is happening between them and their relationship. You see that their love for their daughter um, mm -hmm. individually. And, you know, there are moments where you see them together where that love shines through. That was one of my uh, favorite parts of the movie was the relationship between the mom and daughter. And I, I think the reason why is because it just feels so authentic. A lot of times I see uh, parents and kids in movies portrayed as, especially adolescents, portrayed as opposing forces. And you did such a great job at conveying the reality of disagreement, but actually working to show the other person who you really are, like to actually communicate something, whereas a lot of movies don't do that very well. And uh, yeah, just there, there have been two movies, yours and eighth grade was the other one. I feel like that really captured that idea of parenting where it's, it's this, this impossible job but uh, but it's this beautiful thing at the same time. And so I, I really did appreciate that. Uh, it got me wondering if there was one thing that you could emulate from how you were parented uh, or how it's, you know, from the parenting in this movie in your own life as you become a parent. Like, what is that that main thing that, that you look to be as a parent? I mean, we were constantly asking the question all of the time when making decisions about the story was how do I parent, you know, I'm sorry, how does turquoise parent? Yeah. And we were, making, we were asking the same questions about even with Ronnie and how to shape the story around Ronnie, how does Ronnie parent, you know? 
And I think for me, if there are any particular lessons that I want to take, you know, um, as a parent and from this particular story is I want my daughter to be able to have the freedom to be who she wants to be. This is your feature debut, right? Yes, it is. Congratulations. That's awesome. You have done a few shorts, but uh, what is... What is it that you did? You learn anything from the shorts that you translated here, or was this just a whole new ball game when you started making a feature? I mean, you know, I learned lessons from the shorts just about working with actors and you know crafting stories and things like that. And you know, you're still on a time crunch, but a feature obviously is taking the training wheels off. And I was doing, um, I was doing a feature with a young baby who turned one on set. You know, it was it was different in that way. You know, I literally literally was running back and forth between takes to breastfeed her and she was often in the baby carrier. So, you know, I can't (laughs) a a different sort of experience, you know, but um, I'm so glad that, you know, we were able to get the story done because there were many times, you know, when I I had my doubts, I was like, what am I doing? You know, I have this young child and that should be my focus right now. Maybe we can wait until next year, you know, and obviously if we had waited, we wouldn't be making the film this summer, you know, Mm. so it was an interesting journey. How many days did it take you to shoot it? Um, I think principal was 22 days and don't quote me um, on that, but I think it was around that. And then um, a couple of days of pickups (laughs) <laughs> so so 22 days uh, of just mayhem probably uh that you were both it was both stressful and exhilarating at the same time yeah i mean because you i literally like you know i had these two dreams happening at the same time at the same time you know this dream that i was finally getting this feature made that i'd worked on for years and um I was also, you know, I always also always had a dream of, you know, being a mother in my life. Um, and coincidentally, <laughs> I, I'd had this daughter, you know, and I was making this movie about this mother and the daughter, which, you know, made me see the film in, in this different way. You know, I just mm. um, was in a moment where I just wanted to hold my daughter close and just felt this kind of love that I had never felt before, you know, for this little human being, which I just wanted to take care of and hold close. And, you know, that really translated to the way that I saw Turquoise and the way that I wanted to, you know, her to be perceived in the film. Well, and speaking of debuts, uh, Kai is played by Alexis Chikese, mm-hmm. who uh, is a revelation in her own right. Um mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is one of these roles that if you don't get it right, doesn't ruin the movie, but mm-hmm. if you don't get it right, then it, it then, you know, you, you kind of go, well, you know, they did the best they could, but she's really good in this. Where did you find her? I was, I was terrified. <laughs> talk about not getting it right, you know, and I just remember, you know, Nicole has this wealth of experience, you know, she's a Juilliard trained actress, you know, mm-hmm. and I have a theater background, you know, my undergrad is in theater arts. And so I pride myself on being able to work with actors who have 
you know, all this training and experience um, in the world, but I hadn't had experience really with working with the breakout. And so I was really more terrified about my ability, not hers, because one of the things that I loved was that I, you know, in, in her readings, I just would, cause she read for the part several times. Um, and I just remember feeling like I wanted to reach out to her, you know, and she had this sensitivity that, you know, I saw that I wanted to be able to bring to this Kai role. And um, I, I just, I can't say enough good things about her because she's so <laughs> hardworking and incredible. And she literally um, jumped in and I sat down with her right before we shot the film and went through the entire script and talked to her about, you know, I had this poetic tone in mind for the film. And I also talked about pace, you know, because I really was mimicking the pace of the community in which we shot in the film, you know, which has this mm. timelessness, this lived in quality, you know? And um, so I really, she, she, I, I can't believe to this day, she wasn't intimidated by working with this actors who she'd seen before anything. She just <laughs> jumped in and, um, and killed it. And, you know, there were nerves, but, you know, I was there to support her in the journey. And I'm so glad that she brought, she came to this film and I just have to shout out the casting directors, you know, cause we had three incredible casting directors. I'm um, Chelsea block who cast, um, Nicole and also, um, the Ronnie role. And then we had local casting directors, Buffalo casting um, here in Dallas. And they were the ones who found Alexis. Mm -hmm. It's the unsung heroes. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, uh, did they, did they uh, try out like a whole bunch of local actors and, and she's the one who came out on top or. or yes, they... absolutely. Like we, mm -hmm. read, you know, that, that role was, um, I was just so, you know, I was, like I said, I was terrified about casting it. So, you know, we read so many actors for that role. And um, yes, literally, she's the one that, um, you know, there were so many talented young women that read for the role. But I just saw those qualities in Alexis, you know, as a human being that and, and she's just this she's also this really like strong, resilient, young African-American woman from the region you know, and I, that was a bonus that she'd be able to, you know, walk and talk um, the way a young girl would from Fort Worth, Texas. Well, one of the things that I really wanted to mention is that you, you mentioned the, the the setting, the Fort Worth area and the the uh, manifestations of the people, uh, how they walk and talk and that kind of thing. This movie is as Texas as a movie I, I've, I've ever seen. Um, and it shows a different side of Texas that you don't typically see on screen. You were talking about how African-Americans are not typically represented. Um, but uh, th th this side of African-American Texans, uh, you don't, you don't ever see. And it's, it's a whole different kind of mentality, a whole different presentation. And it's delightful. You've got the, the, the crowd at the barbecue shack. You've got, uh, one of the suitors for turquoise showing up in a mode of transportation that I would never have predicted. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, you know, then the line dance and the party and all that stuff. It's just so cool to see a setting that, that I didn't, I hadn't had experience with, uh, haven't been to Texas maybe once or twice in my life. Uh, it very, very cool. So I, I assume that setting was a big, uh, emphasis, uh, in your in your movie, in, in how you wanted to present it. 
Oh, absolutely. Like I grew up in um, Fort Worth, Texas, which, you know, on screen, it, you know, it probably feels like a country town, but it's actually the 13th largest, biggest city in the U.S. But this particular neighborhood in which I shot the film is um, called the, when I was growing up, it was called the South Side of Fort Worth. It's now called the Historical South Side. And it was once this really bustling, um, robust Black community for Black businesses and Black commerce. And um Today, you know, it's really just the businesses are left are the ones that have held on through the generations and it's being gentrified. And so I really no. wrote, wrote the film around the spaces and places that I grew up in. And um, that's why some of the central locations that you see are actually existing locations that I frequented, just like the bar, you know, was a bar that <laughs> I would go to. And um, it's multi-generational in that you would see the young folks there. And then I would see, you know, the older folks there and we're all in there, you know, um, um, having there's this sense of community. We're all in there, you know, sometimes partying together, sometimes having grand conversations, you know, it really is a home away from home for so many. And even the funeral home that you see, those are family friends, um, you know, who I call oh, aunt, wow. aunt and uncle and granny, you know, and I grew up going to that particular funeral home because my mother's best friend, um, is one of the funeral directors in which that funeral home has been passed down to through the generations. And so that was childcare for us. You know, my mom would drop us mm. off at the funeral home, you know, for a couple mm-hmm. of hours and we'd stay there until she could pick us up after school. And so, you know, death for me had a, has a different, you know, connotation because um, I saw um, death handled with compassion and dignity and um, and with a sense of pride in a way. And so, you know, in the way that we funeralize people, we see it as a celebration. And so those hmm. thematically are often things that end up in my work, just like um, community and, you know, families and the way that we deal with each other and what we leave behind and what we, you know, decide to take forward and, you um, I mean, it's just interesting when you look back and you look at what was formative for you, you know, the things that you you're making art about. Mm-hmm. That's uh that is something that you touch on. We slightly touched on it before in this interview is the is when Wayman is talking about his bar and everything. He's talking about how for years people have been trying to knock him out of this one location because they're making their own things around here. I think it's. Uh, the politicians are trying to make it another thing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a great part of this movie. That's why it just adds a lot of texture to it. It's mm-hmm. that one little speech that he has in there is fantastic. Thank you so much. I've got one more that that uh, that I was curious about um, because I get really curious about the process because that's not something I've ever been involved in. And as a first time director, mm-hmm. I'm sure going into it, there's trepidation, but I'm also sure you've got people who have guided you there, who have got you there, who you look up to, influences, all that kind of thing. And I was just wondering, like, what was the most valuable piece of advice or thing that you'd heard that really helped you during those, you know, three weeks of intense shooting to, you know, really accomplish what you set out to do? Like, what was the the important uh, kind of uh, elevating information in your process? And I don't know that I had that I can pinpoint a particular person that said this, maybe I picked this up over a series of conversations, but what I discovered through the process was that I needed to, and 
I hope this doesn't sound trite, but that I needed to trust my instincts no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially in independent film things, you know, there's so many moving pieces and things are changing constantly. You know, you're under budget constraints and logistics and scheduling and um, locations and, you know, um, the availability of so many things like making sure the horse gets there on time and all that good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I just, one of the things that I want to take with me is remembering every time why I made this particular story, you know, and um, what the inspiration was for it and to trust my instincts and my ability to tell the story Because I think once I did that and I found my groove in making this film, you know, everything just came together. You've just brought something up that I I, I'm kind of curious about the uh, I always hear that uh, directing a lot of times is problem solving. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was wondering if there was a day where you were just like, I don't think I'm going to be able to get what I want. And then you figured something out. Is there anything like that that happened? I mean, sure, there were a couple of days like that, you know, Um, in the summer, you know, we were shooting this film and, you know, Texas is always 100 plus degrees in the summer, you know, Mm -hmm. so it it was a tough film to make in that respect. And, you know, Texas also has wild weather sometimes. So there was literally one day that we just had a downpour in which we had to, you know, we couldn't go forward. We were shooting an outdoor scene and then we were shooting an entire, and on another day, I think our first day of production, we were shooting an entire existing parade. And so, oh, wow. <laughs> I thought, what a way to get this movie started, you know? No and doubt. I, and the only thing that I could rely on was the fact that the parade that we were shooting in, here's a fun fact, the parade that we shot for the film, um, we didn't start filming until July. And so we repurposed an existing July 4th parade for Juneteenth. Oh, okay. (laughs) That is is made within this really, you know, I might've mentioned it earlier, this um, historically black community in Fort Worth called Como, 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 the neighborhood's called Como. Mm -hmm. And um, they have this unbelievably, you know, it's this incredible parade that they come together and put on every year. And they, let us come in and repurpose it for Juneteenth. And I don't think it could be more appropriate, you know, now that I look at it. Um, But yeah, there were a couple of days like that, but I really relied on the sense that I knew this parade through and through. I knew the routes just from going there, you know, and I knew the community. And so, you know, we were able to get what we needed just from that familiarity. That was a great character moment too, where you could see turquoise starting to wave like the, the, the beauty queen, uh, and, you know, kind of com- silently communicating with her daughter and with the contestants and things like that. That was a nice little touch. Yeah. You know, I have to um, also have to in research. We were also going to that parade, of, you know, every year just to learn as much as we could about it and the routes in case we needed to use it as, you know, in case we needed to repurpose it. And I have to shout out um, my producer who I was talking about earlier, who's also my husband, Neil, because he did. um second camera on that parade. And, you know, I'm really, really grateful because there were just so many moments that I wanted to be able to um, capture. There's so much more that I wanted in there, but, you know, we only have so much movie. (laughs) There are a few images in here that I, I, I'd love to talk to you about. I don't want to get into spoilers and things like that, but Mm -hmm. uh, try to go uh, context free. I love the very final shot of this movie. 
Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that shot is fantastic. If it doesn't doesn't warm your heart over, um, the uh, there's a shot. There's a there's a scene where Turquoise is uh, showing up for the pageant that her daughter's uh, going to be in, and she goes to this row of uh, other pageant winners, and they're all wearing their crowns, and she's mm-hmm. the only one that doesn't have hers. Mm-hmm. Um, thought that was a really cool scene but there's this one shot very just sort of like a cutaway thing that i love in this and this is one of those things where i wish that i could watch this in a full movie theater um it's the it's the rival and i believe her name's clarissa alicia hackney plays yes (laughs) um they are doing the etiquette portion of the thing the the dining uh table Mm -hmm. and uh and uh, Kai gets the wrong fork. She uses the salad fork instead of the dinner fork and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, and Clarissa points that out and she's just been dying to say something to her about what she's doing this whole time. She, They're all tittering like, and everything. She's like this, this dude, I just, I'm, I'm wishing you'll do something bad so that I can say something about it. And finally she's got her chance and she's like, well, surely you wouldn't use a salad fork for a dinner fork, blah, blah, blah. Everybody laughs. Right. And they're, they're trying to, and, and you have the, the one woman, she's trying to calm everybody down. Look, we don't laugh at this, but we're trying to get this right. Blah, blah, blah. And you cut back to Clarissa and she's got that. She, she's got that perpetual stare at her right after that. I feel like a lot of movies would sort of ignore that portion of it like how personal this is <laughs> she that look that she gives is something that i know for a fact that if i saw this in a full movie theater there would be a bunch of people going oh <laughs> like that <laughs> and i love that shot and i'm glad that that was part of the editing process awesome i'm glad you got that you all have watched the film pretty closely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes i have <laughs> this was a this was a very moving film this is a very uh it's a breath of fresh air honestly uh to both learn something about a, a, a specific subculture like uh, in, in Texas that I didn't know much about, about the Juneteenth holiday. Um, so glad that it's getting more uh, traction and more, more attention. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a joy to watch movies like this that take you to a different place. Um, and, uh, you, you absolutely nailed it. What do you have, uh, coming up, Channing? Do you have anything, uh, in the works? Yeah, I'm working on, um, my next original and you know, I can't talk about it just yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> Something, something's going on. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I love world and I love seeing a strong character often, you know, black women on a, uh, taking a step forward in their lives. So, you know, it'll probably be in that world. I can say that much, but, um, you know, after getting this film done, it's been such a long journey, but I'm excited to get back at it. Well, you nailed it. Once again, thank you so much, Channing, for uh, for agreeing to talk to us. Uh, uh, this is a this is a movie that everybody should go see. Um, it is uh, it will be out by the time this podcast comes out. It's uh, it's June 19th. So uh, VOD digital. That's basically where we're seeing it. Yeah, um, it'll be on VOD and digital. It's also playing in a few drive-ins across the country. Um, oh, and cool. 
what's been great is that a lot of virtual cinemas are carrying the um, film as well. And I just want to shout that out because, Oh um, yeah. It, you know, it helps support those cinemas. So um, we have a running list of where it's being played on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I think Facebook as well, but our handle everywhere is Juneteenth movie and um, people can go check out where they want to purchase it from. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Gosh, I, I, if I, I'm, I may have to try to find a drive-in somewhere. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, where, where are you guys? We're in Nashville. Well, okay. Aaron's in Missouri somewhere. Yes. Okay. In a field, okay. just out yeah. in a field somewhere yeah. in Missouri. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, there's, there's a few drive-ins that are planted, which is exciting. I'm going to uh, try to figure out how to get to one myself. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, yeah, um, we'd like to thank her again. And so that's going to do it for this interview. Uh, we have, uh, we're, we're going to be on Facebook and stuff. So, uh, Sincast presented by Cinema Sins on Facebook. Go on there. Cinema Sins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, all the usual things. Um, uh, but, uh, that's going to do it for this one. It's Chris Atkinson, Aaron Dicer, Barrett Share, and, uh, Channing Godfrey Peoples. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Chan, have you have you gotten a lot of, and I hope this is the case, have you gotten a lot of press and a lot of uh, attention for this movie, especially the timing of it and all that, that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we've got a lot of press for the movie. Like we were fortunate enough to, um, premiere at Sundance, you know, this year we, we got our premiere, you know, right before everything happened with COVID and, um, mm-hmm. We made, you know, this film in my hometown and um, we, my husband and I, my husband is one of the producers, Neil Creaky Williams. And so we pushed the film up the hill together to get it made. And we both went through the Sundance Institute. He went through the Creative Producing Lab in 2017. And I went through um, some of the intensives, the screenwriting intensive and directing intensive. And so, you know, we went through the Sundance Institute, but you, there's still no guarantee that, you know, you'll play at Sundance. So it was really, you know, a dream realized to be able to play there. And um, as a result, you know, people have been interested in the film and um, it's also being released obviously on Juneteenth. So right, um, right. that created more interest and especially in the time in which we're living now with all of the um, tragedies that have happened within the African-American community repeatedly, you know, um, I think people are, have become more interested in hearing um, black voices and not just in cinema and media. I'm talking about, you know, in the community activists, journalists, you know, um, people that are creating legislation, legislation, I'm sorry, and lasting change. So we're just in a moment where our story is going out to in, out into the world. And, you know, we hope thematically some of the themes can resonate with people. Oh, that's, that's such an amazing answer. I'm sorry. We haven't even introduced, like started the show yet, but at the end actually to just kind of get a, a nice little coda, but sorry to, to jump in there. Uh, it's wonderful to hear though. And I'm, I'm so pleased that you are getting, 
the recognition that you are for this movie, like you said, at this time. Uh, yeah, so. there's been some amazing things. Like people have been super supportive. Like there's a um, there's a publication called Film Days who had a beautiful review that came out yesterday. But also, um, Rolling Stone gave us an incredible review, which oh wow, you know, that was a dream come true. Um, and um, New York Times were their critics picked today. So oh wow. You know, some really amazing things have happened for the film. You know, I can't even believe it myself, but I'm really super grateful. And you also get to talk to us, which is like mm-hmm. really the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, now That's that great. tops it all. I'm ready to do it. <laughs> <laughs>